ahead and sit down. If you're, um, you're married and you're trying to have children, you're not able to have children, would you stand up right now? Stand up right now, you're trying to have children. If you're the husband of, and your wife's not here and you're trying to have children, that's fine. Just stand up right now. There's one thing worship does is it causes things to give birth that couldn't. I was thinking about that tonight. So if you're near somebody who's standing, just put your hand on their shoulder right there. And we're just going to release. Be fruitful and multiply is the word of the Lord. Yep. We just say right now to you, be fruitful and multiply. And the Lord's doing a creative work in the womb of women. Right now, women who even have hysterectomies. Maybe you're watching by iBethel TV. The Lord's doing something right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we just pray for that. We pray for even some who couldn't give birth to have twins as a sign, a double portion sign in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we release that over them right now. And every single person who's standing, the people who are standing at home, the people who are in the overflow room, that there is anointing right now to get pregnant, and at this season, next year. That's what Elisha said to the Shumanite woman, at this season, next year, you shall have a child. And Lord, we just release that to them right now, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. We were in Hawaii at the YWAM base. This was many years ago, probably five or six years ago. And um, there was a couple that was in the school, the YWAM school there. And uh, I w we were teaching on the supernatural, and they looked very sad. And it turned out that they lost their only child. They had had many miscarriages, and they had a child that was about, I'm sorry, it was a three or four or five years old. It wasn't little, a little infant, but they lost their child. I forget how that happened, but it was to a disease. And um, they just, they were um, fairly uh, wealthy people. They, they sold everything. They gave it away. They were depressed, and they just came to YWAM, just said, we're just going to give our whole lives to God. And she was unable to have any more children. In fact, the child that she had, if I remember, was like a miracle child. They could have no more children. And uh, so anyway, I didn't obviously know any of that, but we, I called her out. It was just about 60 students. And, I, and I, I said, I don't know, something, something's, uh, this dark cloud's been on you. And I named the month. That was the month their child had died. And I said, the Lord is going to reward you with twins. You're going to have twins. I didn't know anything about them losing a child and not having children. She freaked out, fell on the floor, started screaming. I'd totally forgotten about... My recollection is about two years later, I was in a conference, and this man and woman came up with two little children, two little babies. She said, do you remember us? I said, I'm sorry, I really don't. She said, you prophesied at the YWAM base that we would have twins. I said, yeah. She said, we had twins right after that. That's just a good word right there. That's just a good word. Huh? I like when those words come to pass like that. <laughs> so much better than the other ones, you know what I mean? 
Just grab a hand and let's just pray right now for Jesus to do something powerful in y'all. In y'all. Lord, we just, we just release. <laughs> you know, Acts 3 says, and the times of refreshing will come upon you from the Lord. And we pray for times of refreshing. We pray for fresh winds of revelation. <laughs> we pray for the tree of life to be in the midst of us tonight. That we would eat not from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but we'd eat from the tree of life. We'd get revelation instead of knowledge. And it would reproduce in us 30, 60, and 100 fold. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn to Isaiah 61? I want to talk about rebuilding ruined cities. Oh, wow. Jesus does love me. <laughs> I, uh, I was just thinking, I, I had this strange experience. Bill was talking about his, how many of you heard Bill's flask, flask, flask story? He shared it again in the conference, didn't you? Yeah. Anyway, I, um, I have this, this little crazy thing happen to me. I, I actually, I've never been to a masseuse. I don't like people to touch my body. Well, with the exception of, of my wife, <laughs> to be honest. I have reasons, but I'm not going to share with you why. But, but uh, during the conference, I'm getting wiser. I'm getting older and I'm getting wiser. <laughs> During the conference, I had a, a real problem with my neck, and I said to myself, just to myself, I said, I, I would go to masseuse right now to get rid of this. And I, we finished the session, and I went upstairs, and the heavenly man comes right up behind me, and he starts massaging my, my neck. I mean, it wasn't a half an hour later. And he's a professional masseuse. And he massaged my neck, I don't know, 10 minutes probably, and then came back the next day and massaged me for another 15. And I'm like, this is too freaky. I think I want a flask. I don't know what to do with it, because I don't even drink wine, but I, I think I would put water in it and just carry it around. Listen, don't get me when I honestly don't want one. I'm being funny. <laughs> Last time I told people I love M&Ms, I got six pounds of them. I hate M&M's. <laughs> Isaiah 61. This is um, a verse. Many, many years ago, I had an experience. Um, I, I've shared this experience in a couple of books, and it was really a turning point in my life. We um, lived in Weirville, of course, and um, the first uh, week, I, I, Kathy and I moved to Weirville because um, I had a nervous breakdown. And when I was 22 years old, and so we moved there because we had two, a year and a half before that, we had gotten married, and we, we did part of our honeymoon there, fishing, and, and uh, so we didn't really know anybody there, but when, um, when I crashed, we were looking for some place that, really, that we thought was really slow, and, and, and Weaverville, actually a place called Lewiston, which is 15 miles, 15 minutes or so from Weaverville, we moved there, uh, it was kind of funny. I, I, bought, I bought a house that Kathy had, hadn't seen, so that, was, that helped our marriage. 
fun. <laughs> Things we learn as we get older. But um, anyway, um, the, the short story is, and I've told the story so many times, that I, I ended up being very demonized. Um, we went, uh, the, when Bill first came to um, what was called Calvary Chapel then, Mountain Chapel now, um, we did a men's retreat. I think it may have been the first year that Bill was there. It might have been the second with a man named Dick Joyce. And I had never met Dick uh, Joyce before. So there's about 70 men when we went to this place. Now, how many know Weaverville sounds like a long ways away, doesn't it? Well, we went to a place called Bar 717. It's so far out, they can't even think of a name for it. And I mean, it is in the middle, literally, right, of nowhere. It's in the middle of nowhere, and there's a retreat center out there. And so a bunch of the guys talked me into going, and uh, I was really, you know, I was having anxiety attacks and panic attacks and all this kind of crazy stuff. And we're in this Jeep and we're going to Bar 717 with a bunch of my friends. And I didn't drive, so I couldn't come home by myself. And about halfway there, they say to me, um, hey, it's going to be so fun. And I'm, I'm trying to like act like I'm doing fine. And they're like, yeah, there's going to be a prophet there. His name's Dick Joyce. And I'm like, oh, that's what I need, a prophet. And I thought, you know, only... The only paradigm I had for the prophet was the Old Testament guys, and I'm like, oh no. So, I mean, I would have jumped out of that car and ran home myself if I could have got out the door. And so now I'm really panicked, and so we drive, I think, it's, is it like three hours? It seemed like three hours. It's hours there. So we get to bar 717, and I'm trying to figure out a way I can stay in my cabin, and so the, the meeting starts, and we do some worship, and Dick Joyce gets up to preach, and he starts preaching, um, he maybe preaches 10 or 15 minutes, he says, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to minister to a few people, and I'm like, oh no. I'm sitting in the very back row of 70 guys, way out in the middle of nowhere, and I said to God, please do not let him call me out. I will do anything if you do not let him call me out. And so, um, so he says, I just want to call out a few guys. It was, you know, all men's, it was a men's retreat. And he, and he called Charlie, my friend Charlie, and then next he goes, and you in the back, you, you come up here. And I'm like, oh, I, I was confessing sins I have yet to commit. It was, it was horrible. And I think there was called out like five or six of us, and so I'm standing there, and I, I am literally shaking, and I'm terrified that, I'm, you know, that he's going to, tell all of my friends all of the things that are happening inside of me. And, and uh, so he, he prophesied over one guy, and it was good, and he, I'm, I'm next. And he said, I see you in a storm. I'm like, oh, okay, let's keep it right there. <laughs> I see you in a storm, and he says, but you are a pillar, and you and your wife shall be a pillar in the house of God. And you shall travel the world, and you shall teach the, you shall teach my people how to sustain revival. And he goes, and it was very long. It was like three pages long. And, um, and, and, then he, and he kept saying, you shall take your family with you. Your family shall go with you. You shall take your family with you. You shall not grow beyond your family, he said in the word. But the key um, that he gave me uh, in, that, in, that, um, in that prophecy is he said, in you... You will restore ruined cities. 
<laughs> I'm thinking, man, this guy, he's a pretty bad prophet. <laughs> you know, he's a nice guy, but he's a pretty bad prophet. <laughs> I, I don't know that I'm a pillar in the house of God. I'm more like Gumby in the house of God, like Jello Man. And um, I kept that prophetic word. I took it, uh, took the tape, the, you know, in those days, the cassette tape. I took it home. Kathy transcribed it for me. And it was four or five pages long. And I kept that prophetic word with me all the time. I kept it in my pocket just right by my wallet. And every time I had any kind of anxiety attack, I would take it out. I'd go in the restroom. If I, if I wasn't in a, a private place, I'd go in the restroom. And I would read that word over me. And I just, I wanted just to bring you, this is, and so if you've, if, um, if I've ever signed a book for you, more than likely I've signed Isaiah 61, verse 4. And I want to just read you Isaiah 61, because I feel like this is a life verse for me. These are life verses for me. And I want to apply it to where we're at, and, and, I, and I think where, where we're going. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news to the afflicted. He's, he's called me to bind up the brokenhearted, speak release to captives, and freedom to prisoners, the favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to grant all those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, a mantle of praise instead of a spirit of happiness or a spirit of fainting, that they might be called oaks of righteousness, that he may be glorified. And the fourth verse says this, and they shall return and rebuild the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities. And they shall return, and re- they shall return. <laughs> I have to do it on a roll. And they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up the former devastations, and they will rebuild ruined cities, desolations of many generations. And um, I, um, the, I don't know if you've noticed, but the people that are rebuilding the ancient ruins, raising up the former devastations, and re- rebuilding the ruined cities are the people who were depressed and discouraged and captive, and they were people who were in need. They were the people that, that Isaiah 61, 1 through 3 talks about. You will release captives, free prisoners, and, and give them the favorable year of the Lord. You'll give, them the, you'll give them a garland instead of ashes, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. And those are the people that God sends back to rebuild the ancient ruins and to rebuild the ruined cities. And I just have the strongest conviction in my, in my mind that, that the kingdom within us becomes the kingdom around us. And that this isn't just about you, but, that, but God wants His kingdom to come inside of us. He wants us to cultivate the kingdom inside of us so that it can become the kingdom around us. And you know, what, you, what a person builds doesn't define them, but it does reveal them. How many of you know what you build doesn't define you? You're, you are not reduced to what you build, but it does reveal you. In fact, Romans, 12, uh, Romans 1 says this, that God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, and His divine nature are clearly seen in what God made. In other words, you can look at nature and you can understand that God's invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature. What you build is a revelation of what's inside of you. If there's a mess around you... <laughs> Well, anyway, what you build <laughs> is a revelation of what's inside of you. Um, turn to Acts chapter 6, and there's a story. Sometimes we, um, 
we hear all these things about transforming cities, and we're like, I'm not sure how I'm going to do that. Acts chapter 6 is a story of, the, it's the early church. It is about six years after the resurrection of Christ. Disciples are still, the apostles, disciples, they're still trying to find their, their way, building the church, people getting saved by the tens of thousands. And it says this, uh, verse 1, Now at that time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose among the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from, you, um, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit of wisdom, who may be put in charge of this task, but we will devote ourselves to prayer to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and it goes on to name several others. And they brought those to the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God kept spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Now, um, this, is, uh, this is exciting for several reasons. One, the apostles are there serving tables. And you can imagine that you have thousands of people. Not only are you teaching them on a Sunday morning, but you are feeding them every day. You're not feeding a few hundred. You're feeding thousands of people. And there's a complaint among the people that the apostles aren't doing a good job in the daily feeding of the people. And so they choose seven People. And by the way, it's the Hinalistic Jews who are complaining. And just for a little historic fact, the Hinalistic Jews are complaining that they are being, like there's a prejudice among the people. At least it appears that way. And so they pick, and I don't know if you realize this, but the seven men they picked were Hinalistic Jews. And so they picked Hinalistic Jews to serve all the people. And one of the men that they picked, two, two men in particular, they picked Stephen, which we won't talk about tonight, and they picked Philip. And Philip, in Acts um, chapter 21, says this, uh, verse 8, On the next day we left and we came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. Here's, here's um, where I'm going. I'm taking you on a little, bit of jur- on a little journey. How do, you, how do you transform a city? Like, if, you're, if you were the broken, if you were Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, like I was and you were depressed, and you were discouraged, and you were captive, and you were broken, and you were, you, were, you, were, you were joyless, and you were hopeless, and you were depressed, and Jesus came into your life, and you're like, I, I am changed. What do I do now? And God says, I want to send you back to help restore your city. I want you to be like Adam and Eve, and I want you to cultivate the garden of Eden that's in you, so that garden can be a garden around you, so the people can partake of the fruit of your life. And you're like, I don't know how to do that. And here we have Philip. We have seven, actually, young men. But Philip is one of those. And it says this in chapter 8. It says there was persecution and people were scattered, verse 4. And therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to a city of Samaria and he began proclaiming Christ to them. And the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was being said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. Do you realize, two chapters earlier, he's waiting on tables. What's he doing? He's a man full of the spirit and of wisdom, 
and he's waiting on tables. Do you know that your seat of servanthood becomes your throne of destiny? You're like, what am I supposed to do for God? Well, if you don't do anything else, wait on tables. Just do something. How many of you know that God, that, that you, Jesus said, go and make disciples? He didn't say stop. I had someone Facebook me today and said, I'm just waiting on God. You, you shouldn't be waiting on God. God said, go. You have a green light unless there's a red. The norm is green. Like, the light is normally green. Are you with me? I don't know what to do. Just do something. The disciples all had one thing in common. You know, some of them were tax collectors and fishermen and all kinds of different things. But all had one thing in common when Jesus found them. They were all working. Just go get a job. Do something. Wait on tables. Go to McDonald's. See if you can get a job. Say, I'm studying to be an evangelist. What are you doing here? Well, Philip started this way. He was waiting on tables. I'm wondering if I could get a job here. This is a good word. He's waiting on tables in one scene, and the next scene we see him down in Samaria, and he's preaching the word and signs and wonders. Look at this. And the crowds with one accord were giving attention to him, what was said by Philip, and they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. By the way, it should be do and teach. Jesus said this in uh, John 14. He said, if you don't believe me on account of my words, then believe me on account of my works. Because the works I do are not me, they're the Father working through me. And how many of you know, next verse, and greater works shall you do when I go to be with the Father. Sometimes we just need to shut up and work. Just do something no one can do without God. Verse 7, in this case, many of those who had unclean spirits were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. By the way, it's the evil spirits who are shouting, not Philip. <laughs> shouting over someone who's demonized just terrorizes the person who's demonized. It's the demons who shout. <laughs> Some of them, I think, shout, thank you. <laughs> they just have to think through that. have you ever cast a demon out of a person and the person gets meaner because the evil spirit was actually nicer than the person (laughs) or you cast an evil spirit out and the spirit's like thank you (laughs) Or or, or, or the wife is like can you put him back he was so much nicer with the spirit in there (laughs) all these stories are coming to mind i better keep going in the (laughs) (laughs) i'm married him demonized that's the man i want back (laughs) okay let's go on For in the case of many unclean spirits were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon who was formerly practicing magic in that city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. 
And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what's called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he had, for a long time, astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news, did you see it was said good news? It didn't say, and Philip was preaching the end time prophecies about the beast. I don't know if you saw that. It didn't say, and when they heard Philip preaching about the apocalypse, they all got so scared, they raised their hand and repeated a prayer. It's a totally different church in those days. <laughs> but when they heard Philip preaching the what? Good news about the what? Kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ and baptized both men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed after being baptized, he continued on with Philip and he observed the signs and the great miracles taking place. And he was constantly astonished. I want to go on to verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for, they had not yet, for he had not yet fallen on them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And they began laying hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. This is, um, to me, this is an amazing, um, I don't want to say pattern, but I, several years ago, probably about four years ago now, I was teaching on John chapter 5. It's the story of um, the Pool of Bethesda. How many know the story of the Pool of Bethesda? And while I was uh, reading about the Pool of Bethesda, I noticed that the Pool of Bethesda had five porticles. You know, it's where the man is sitting there for 37 years, and Jesus walks by and says, do you want to get healed? He said, you know, and the angel of the Lord comes and stirs the water in certain seasons. The first one who gets in gets healed. Remember the whole story? And so I'm reading that story, and I notice that there's five porticles over the pool of Bethesda. And so um, I started asking the Holy Spirit, for actually for several weeks, what was the five porticles? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said that the five porticles, which are five porches, by the way, that's like, five, if you will, like you could imagine a pool. It's like these five porches that people could sit under. The Holy Spirit said to me, the five porticles represent the five-fold ministry. And when the five-fold ministry goes from emerging, you know, because we used to have three-fold ministry forever, right? We had, we had pastors, teachers, and evangelists. But now we have the five-fold ministry. We have apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And the Lord said to me, when the five-fold ministry goes from emerging to merging into one pool, that it's going to create strategic alliances with heavenly allies, and that we were going to see miracles that have not been seen since the beginning of the book of Acts. And I, I began to teach on that, and, and here's part of that, uh, for me, part of that revelation. It's like Jesus is teaching us how the different fivefold ministers, fivefold apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, how the fivefold ministry is supposed to be fit together and flow together. How many of you understand if you have a football team, you, 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 you don't want three quarterbacks on the field and no running back? Like the goal is that everybody, it's not just having 11 men on the field, or it's not just, you, you know what I'm trying to say. The, in other words, it's, it's not just having people on the field that counts, it's having the right people in the right game at the right place. And I believe that the Lord is going to begin to give us revelation about how the fivefold ministry begins to flow together into one pool, and not just unity, uh, unity but synergy, <laughs> unity. It's unity. This. <laughs> 
This unity. See that? See, you thought I made a mistake. <laughs> unity is when unity and synergy flow together into one pool. It's unity. That, that could preach right there. Hopefully, it doesn't mean something demonic. Anyway. But during that season, I was, I was studying the fivefold ministry, and I was looking for examples in the Bible of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastors, and teachers, and just seeing what, observing what they actually did in the early church. And Philip is the only named evangelist in the church. Isn't it interesting? Do you know that the word pastor is only used one time in the church, in the, in the Bible? The word pastor in the New Testament Unless you use the word shepherd for pastor, that is. There's many times the word shepherd's used. But it's interesting how many times the word apostles used in the, in the New Testament. But here we have Philip. And what is Philip doing? This is kind of a new model. Paul, I was thinking about you uh, tonight when I was preparing. Paul, uh, it, I feel like Paul has a, an evangelistic mantle on him. He went to Reinhard Bonnke's with several of our people, Chris Overstreet. And, uh, and we came back. I don't know, like a changed man. And uh, there's something powerful working in his life that I don't know if it was working there before, but maybe it just got revealed. But um, here Philip goes down to Samaria and he begins to displace the powers of darkness. Demons are leaving, remember with shouts, uh, and the, uh, the, even the magician, Simon the sorcerer gets saved, and, and all this stuff's happening. And it says, when, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. The exciting thing for me is, Peter and John get there, they start to baptize people in the Holy Spirit, and the next thing that happens is an angel of the Lord comes to Philip and tells Philip to leave. Now, I don't know about you, but... If I'm in the middle of a great revival, and it says, and all of Samaria is getting saved, and I'm Philip, I'm like, I'm in charge here. <laughs> you guys come down and serve my ministry. But instead, when Peter and John get there, the evangelist leaves, and Peter and John begin to minister to the people. And I started having this, this idea that the powers of God displace the powers of darkness, but the government of God replaces the powers of darkness. That part of the problem is Napoleon said this, the object of war is victory, but the object of victory is occupation. I think that we are enamored with victory in which we have no occupation. And by the way, the object of occupation is transformation. In other words, I think we celebrate victories, but we don't even plan for occupation. And here, Philip sees the city coming to Christ. If you will, a great crusade, signs and wonders and miracles, the whole city is coming to Christ. But they don't stop there. When the apostles hear that Samaria has received the word, they send them apostles. Why? Because Ephesians 2 says that the foundation of the church is apostles of prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And you know, Jesus said this about demons. He said, if you cast a demon out and you don't replace that, if you don't replace that with the Holy Spirit, in that person's life, seven spirits more evil than the first will come back. Isn't it interesting that in the place of the greatest victories, 
are some of the darkest cities in our nation. The city of angels. The city of St. Francis. I, I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. The places where there was great victories. I, I hear this word right now in my mind. It's the word sustainability. It's great to have a victory, but we need sustainability. We need multi-generational, get this, I'm not talking about there was a revival there for three years. There was a Jesus movement for 11 years. I'm talking about generational sustainability. I'm talking about legacy sustainability. I'm talking about when a city gets saved 100 years from now, it's the best city on the planet. I'm talking about sustainability that people think Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They don't think me and my three. And in my opinion, part of what's killing us in the area of sustainability, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, is, is our, our eschatology. It's very difficult to believe that you're supposed to restore ruined cities and at the same time believe that things have to go to hell for Jesus to return. It's very difficult to have a vision for a hundred years and think the world's supposed to burn up. <laughs> it's very hard to transform a world that you don't believe is supposed to actually get better. I oh, mean, this is deep. I, I've shared this example many times, but if you had a 55 Chevy and I had a restoration shop, and you brought your Chevy to my restoration shop, and you said, I don't care what it costs, you know, I'm a multi-catrillionaire. I just want this car to look, I want it to be original. And halfway through the restoration, I hear that you're going to put it in the destruction derby when it leaves the shop. I bet it's going to affect the quality of your work. See, because I think what you believe about the end has everything to do with how you behave in the middle. I think that's why we're saving people, we're discipling people, but we're not discipling nations. Because we're convinced that nations aren't actually supposed to improve. <laughs> what if Jesus actually meant for us to pray and believe that it would be on earth as it is in heaven? Uh, listen, I, I don't want to mess with your eschatology. What if he actually meant to believe this? It's just, a, it's just a, you know, I know this is a radical idea. But the only prayer Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done as it is. It, would, it be, would it be radical to think that Jesus taught us a prayer that he wanted us to believe? Okay, I'm going to teach you this prayer, but I don't want you to believe it, all right? This is a good word. <laughs> Turn to Daniel chapter 7. This has become one of my very favorite verses and chapters in the whole Bible.
besides Jesus died on the cross. I'm so sorry. For all you who are groaning. Let's just start from verse 13. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Get this, verse 14. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Would you say that for me? Was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. To him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached, I approached one of those who were standing by me and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Verse 17. These great beasts, which we didn't read, it was in the first um, eight verses. These great beasts, I'm sorry, these great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings which will arise from the earth. Verse 18. But the saints... Everybody say, the saints of the highest one. You can say it. The saints of the highest one will receive a kingdom. Can you guys do it with a little bit more zeal? Okay, we're going to start over. But the saints of the highest one will receive a kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Verse 19, then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast. And he goes on to talk about the fourth beast. Verse 20, the meaning of the ten horns. This is all the first part. Verse 21, I kept looking, and the horn was waging war with the saints and overpowered them. Now, before we go on, I want to tell you that where he says, where the angel of the Lord or the person who was standing next to him um, began to explain to him the vision. And there's no place, you didn't get the privilege of reading this chapter unless you've read it before. But there's no place in the vision that says anything about the saints taking possession of the kingdom. The only thing close to that is verse 13 and verse 14. To him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. And he said, in fact, let me just read it. He kept, I kept looking in night vision, and behold, with the, sun, with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming, and he came to the ancient days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. That's the only thing. You didn't get to read all the verses of that chapter, but that's the only place in that vision that says anything about anybody receiving a kingdom. And when the angel of the Lord interprets that verse, it says the Son of Man, but when the angel of the Lord interprets that verse, he says, and the saints of the highest one will receive a kingdom. In other words, the Son of Man is the saints of the highest one. Did you notice that he intentionally doesn't say the Son of God? Because then, then you'd have to say, well, I, I am a Son of God. But you're definitely a Son of Man, and you're supposed to receive a kingdom, dominion, and glory. Are you following me? Then it goes on, verse 21. I kept looking, and the horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them. Everybody say, boo. boo. Until. Everybody say, until. Yeah. This is a big word, until. Because until means that there's going to be a shift in other words, on this side, the horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until something happened. And what happened? It says, and the ancient of days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived 
for, for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. The horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the Ancient of Days took his seat and the time arrived for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. That's a good word right there. <laughs> verse 23 talked about the beast, 24, the ten horns. Verse 25, they'll speak out against the Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. He'll intend to make alterations in the times and in the law. And they will be given into his hands for time, times, and a half time. <laughs> but at half time. <laughs> verse 26. But the court will sit for judgment. And his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed. Did you notice that his dominion will be taken away? What, what's interesting, the part we didn't read, verse 12. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but extension of life was granted to them for a appointed period of time. Here's, there's a point here. I want you to notice that God takes away their ability, their power, but he lets them live. Their dominion was taken away, but, they were, but he extended their life. Did you notice that? Why? I'll show you in a minute. And there, but the court sat for judgment, and his dominion was taken away, annihilated, destroyed forever. Not the devil, his dominion. <laughs> then, after that, right after that, then the sovereignty and the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions will serve and obey him. Let me read it again. Then the sovereignty, everybody say sovereignty. sovereignty. Say the dominion, dominion. the greatness the great. of all the kingdoms all the under the whole heaven, heaven. will give, be given to the saints of the highest one. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. He's rose from the dead. He's beat sin, death, hell, and the grave. He has the keys. He goes, all authority has been given to me in heaven. Huh? Not a revelation. On earth. And on earth. Therefore, because I have all authority, which means someone has none. Therefore, make disciples of all nations. He didn't say make disciples in all nations. We're supposed to do that. That's another command. But in this command, he said make disciples of all nations. Teaching them everything that I taught you. What I'm getting at is this. When, when, does, when do we take possession of the kingdom? Remember it says that the horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the ancient of days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. Okay, number one, judgment was passed in favor of the saints. What, on this side, the saints were being overpowered. On this side, on, on the other side of the until, Judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And, number two, and the time arrived for the saints to take possession of the kingdom. How do we know when that's supposed to happen? Because when that happens, sovereignty, dominion, and glory, do you remember that? Is given to the saints of the highest one. And all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the saints of the highest one. When does that happen? After the until. 
And what marks the until? Judgment passed in favor of the saints and the time arrived when the saints take possession of the kingdom. Okay, when did that happen? How about this? Matthew 16, 28. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Luke chapter 9, verse 2. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Luke chapter 10, verse 9. Heal those who are sick and say to them, The kingdom of God has what? Come near you. Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the what? Kingdom. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, this is John 3, 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the what? Kingdom of God. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. To these he also presented himself alive after many sufferings by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over 40 days and speaking to them concerning the the things of the what? Kingdom of God. Acts 8.12 And when they believed Philip preaching the good news about what? The kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ they were baptized. Acts 19.8 They went from, from the synagogue speaking boldly three months reasoning persuading them about the kingdom of God. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 For he rescued us from the dominion past tense. He rescued us past tense from the dominion of darkness and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. I'll give you one more. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we received a kingdom, since we what? Past tense. Since we what? Past tense. Received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God acceptable service and reverence and awe. When did the until happen? I'd like to suggest at the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, Judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. We were released from our sins. We were washed clean of all of our unrighteousness. And from that day on, we were transferred into the kingdom. And not only were we transferred in, we were given the kingdom of God. And we were, sit, we were seated in heavenly places, past tense. We were seated in heavenly places to rule and to reign with him. What does that mean to you? That means... <laughs> That you were given the glory, dominion, and a people. Past tense. In other words, you're supposed to be in charge. Oh, things are getting dark. You're the light. You're the light of the world. You're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. You're the good news. One of the problems is the good news has become bad news, and so there's no good news to come to. I believe that God has a plan for every city and every nation. I believe that God has a plan for every city and every nation. I, I was at, uh, in a country some years ago, and uh, this country had come out of communism. And I was sitting with some uh, government officials, and um, we were talking about, I said, what is your vision? They said, well, what? I said, what's the, what's the vision you have for your country? 
And after about two hours of conversation with the leaders of that country, what we figured out is that they spent all their time trying to not be communists. See, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, the problem was that Egypt didn't come out of them. And a lot of people, and Bill said it today in a different way, he said, if some, if, if some people, if you take away something they're against, they don't have a message. And so the kingdom of God is not eat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. And how many of you know that we're going to need to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons? That's the, that's the stuff we're against, but what are we for? Do you understand that we're not just against the devil, we're for God. We're not just, listen, to, in, in Jeremiah chapter 1, God said to his prophet, he said, I've called you to tear down and destroy, and listen to this, and build and plant. How many know that we're supposed to tear down and destroy the works of the devil? Cancer is our enemy. But we need more than just being against the devil. We are pro-God. We are pro-life. And I believe that the Lord wants us to not just restore cities, but give cities identity. I was thinking about, you know, what happens when, when a city goes through transition. And, and uh, I want to take you back to that. I was in that, in that foreign country. I said to him, you, you, after a couple hours, I said, You're, I, you spent all these years trying to not be communists, but what are you? You're not them, but what are you? And one of the senior leaders of, the gov- of, the government, uh, of, the, of that government said, I don't know, we spent, we've spent so much time trying to undo what was done that we don't even have a vision for what we're supposed to be. We just know what we're not supposed to be. And we started dreaming with God. We didn't say it like that. That would be a great book, Dreaming with God. I think I'll write that book. been done listen um, look at uh, Genesis chapter 28 verse 18 so Jacob rose early in the morning and he took a stone and he put it under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it and he called the name of that place Bethel however previously the name of the city was Luz Jacob falls asleep on a rock you remember the story? He falls asleep on a rock and he sees a ladder. And angels are ascending and descending on a ladder. And Jacob wakes up and he said, What? God was here and I didn't even know it. I'd suggest that's most of your houses. And by the way, I'd suggest that angels don't climb on ladders. But if you live a thousand years before Christ and that's the only way you can think of to get to heaven, God will speak to you in your language. And so angels are ascending and descending. He has an encounter with God and he changes the name of the city from Lutz, which means almonds, to Bethel, which means house of God. From that time on, that city's name was changed by an encounter with God. 
Why am I telling you this? This city used to have its identity in lumber. Reading was a lumber community where our whole identity was in lumber mills and lumber and our, our economy ran on lumber and we're, our, we had lumber people and lumber men and women and it's kind of like IT people, you know, the opposite of nerds. I'm not sure if I should have said that, but it just came right to me. And over the last 30 years, the mills have closed. And I feel like Reading is in this place that it's trying to figure out who is it? Who am I? In Genesis 32, Jacob arose the same night and he took two of his wives and two maids and 11 children and crossed the ford to Jabbok, a city called Jabbok. Jabbok means empty or alone. Anybody ever visited that city? And in verse 29, he has an encounter with an angel and he wrestles with the angel all night. Until finally, the angel says, let me go, my shift is over. And Jacob said, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. And the angel says, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. The Hebrew, Jacob means liar, deceiver. By the way, if your name's Jacob and you're not a Hebrew, don't worry about it. If you are, I'm not sure what to tell you about that. (laughs) He says, no longer shall your name be Jacob, but your name shall be Israel. Israel means a prince with God. The angel leaves. Remember, the place is called Jabbok, empty, alone. And Jacob says, I've seen God and lived. And he calls it Penel, which means I've seen the face of God. What I'm getting at is this. Some cities are just one encounter from an identity change. Abraham was looking for a city, listen to this, who had foundations and whose builder and maker was God. I have a sense that apostolic cities have heavenly identities. And that some cities are Jabbok's. They're empty and alone. They're Lutz's. They're, they're full of almonds. They're, they're full of natural things. And God goes, uh, I want that to be a Bethel. I want that to be a house of God. Listen, I want that to be Penel. I saw the face of God. I want to give you one more. It's in 2 Samuel 5.20. So David came to Bethel Perizim. I'm sorry, that's probably pronounced wrong, and defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me, like the breaking through of waters. Therefore, he named the place Bethel Perizim. Bethel Perizim means the place where God busts through. (laughs) This is not amazing. Wouldn't it be amazing that if your experience with God redefined your city? Wouldn't it be amazing if your relationship with God Listen, you fell asleep and laying on a rock and you didn't even know God was around. 
And the angel set up a ladder and started ascending and descending. And you, and you woke up and you're like, I didn't know God was here. I'm going to call this place the house of God. Wouldn't it be amazing if you had an experience with God which redefined the dirt you live on? And suddenly, Lutz, the place where it grew almonds, became a helicopter pad for angels to ascend and descend. If you want to meet God, you need to go to Bethel. You're going to find angels there. I have the strongest sense this is for our own city. I'm sorry, you, you need to get a vision for your own. We, we've been praying for our city. Uh, we, we've prayed for our city for years. But I mean, we've been praying specifically for our city to be the first city in which you encounter... No, let me say it. Let me put it in my words. When you come into the city, not into, the, not into Bethel Church or to any other church, but when you drive into the city, you encounter the kingdom. Wherever you go. Wherever you go. And that we would be the first. And if we're the second, we're good with that. If we're the fifth, we're good with that. But we just want to be in. And actually, Bill and I want to be in before we go up. That's one of our goals. We want to be in before we go up. So that when you come into our city, you fly in, you drive in, however you get here, you take a train. When you come into our city, the kingdom, you experience the kingdom like the Queen of Sheba experienced the kingdom. Now, I'm, I mean, not, okay, listen, I, I, I'm going to be a little bit funny, but I don't just mean, woo the kingdom's here. That, that part of the kingdom we love. We experienced it tonight. That's great. And you know what I mean by woo I'm not being disrespectful. I'm saying that's great. That's, that we, want, we want that. But we also want the practical part of the kingdom where people who don't know us see the good works. And they go, this must be God. We've preached this for months and months, years and years, but months and months recently, I think I've heard five messages on this, at least pieces of a message from different ones of our team in the last several months about the Queen of Sheba. It seems like we can't get away from this story. I heard Eric share on it, Bill share on it, I've heard Paul share on it recently. And, and, and I have been taken by the fact that the Queen of Sheba, now you've got to think about this, she, did, she can't get on a plane. She, she, I mean, she, she goes to see Solomon, and this is months' journey. This is with a, a whole envoy of people, and she brings millions of dollars worth of gifts with her. Do you understand this? This isn't like, oh, you know, let's get on a plane and you know, fly to Bethel and see what's going on there. I mean, this is, this is a deliberate, long-distance, travels for months, late queen from another land. And when she gets to Solomon's place, what does she say? I mean, I can imagine she'd say, I've never seen a temple like this. I imagine she could say all kinds of stuff like that. But instead, she says, the half of your wisdom was not told me. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. It's awesome. I came all this way. I brought you millions of dollars worth of gifts. And I am stunned by the way your waiters dress. I'm like, say what? (laughs) I am stunned by the way you set your table. I mean, how do you set your table in a way like, I'm going to set the table. Tonight, I'm setting the table. And I'm going to set the table in a way. And the queen, as she becomes, she's going to go, there must be a God. I've never seen a table set like that before. 
I don't know how you dress and set a table in a way that, that you do natural works and somebody sees them and goes, there must be a God. I don't know how that happens. I've been in the restaurants and I go, there must be a devil. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now from the... <laughs> I'm not even eating devil's food cake. I'm just telling you, like, from the food to the waitresses, everybody in the place was demonized. <laughs> You've been in that restaurant too, haven't you? <laughs> oh, my goodness. I believe. There it is. I believe. I believe that we're going to be the first city. And if you think you should be the first city, we'll race you. We want to be the first city where the kingdom is so expressed. When you fly into the airport, you go, there must be a God here. And it ain't because you live through the plane ride. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> you get out and kiss the ground like, there must be a God. <laughs> we have become possessed with a dream. We are possessed with a dream to see the kingdom come in a way that people from all over the world will come to go to Walmart and Reading. They'll be like, you need to go to Walmart and Reading. What do they do? I don't know how to explain it. It's the way they stack the shelves. It's amazing. It's the way that people wait on you. Like, before you can ask what you're looking for, they have words of knowledge. You walk in, and you're looking for something. You walk up to a guy, and he goes, that would be on aisle 12, um, shelf number 10, and we have it in six colors. Would that be amazing? There would be no need among us. That's one of the signs of revival. There would be no need among us. That was the book of Acts. We have that pattern already. And there was no need among them. You know why? Because everybody was so generous. So generous. And listen, generosity didn't produce lazy people. How do I know that? Because Peter and John, when the man was lame at the gate, beautiful, he wanted a handout, and they refused it. They gave him a hand up. They took him by the hand, and they gave him a hand up. He was looking for a handout, and they gave him a hand up. How many of you know, kingdom cities give you a hand up. They don't create ecosystems that leave you in... in <laughs> That's a good word right there. So we're racing you. 
And if we get there before you do, you can come in and just check out our city. Just go anywhere. That's what we're believing for. And we believe the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of our God. You, you, maybe you need the beast to come first. That's fine. And if my eschatology is wrong, I'm going to be the happiest person the beast ever ate. I'm serious. If they give me a mark, I'm just going to stand on my head. That'd be 999. <laughs> they put it on my hand, I'll be like. <laughs> you take the mark? No, I got the triune. Nine spiritual gifts, <laughs> nine fruits, and, and nine beatitudes right there. <laughs> right on the fivefold ministry. <laughs> so if you need wars and rumors of wars, uh, my, uh, my thought is we've had those. That's my thought. In fact... The people who, all the prophecy people, they say Jesus can come back at any time because all of those bad things have been fulfilled. So I'm with them. All the bad things can, have been fulfilled, but not very many of the good ones have. And I think that's the rest of the signs of the times. <laughs> so, so you don't need any more bad ones to happen because you already got, listen, listen to the best prophecy teachers. They're on TV at night. <laughs> I don't even know who gives them money. They sit behind. It's so funny. And I'm like, dude. If, huh? What is that? A red light. Oh, it's time to be done. Okay, grab a hand. That was a joke. It is time to be done, though, actually. I was just thinking about if I was as boring as that guy sitting behind that desk talking about prophecy, I'd want Jesus to come back too. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> that dude looked, hadn't looked like he's had an adventure since he was a teenager. At least you don't have to worry about being demonized. You'd bore the demon to death. <laughs> Satan, please get me out of here. This man hasn't done anything in 40 years. <laughs> no possibility he's going to do any damage to our kingdom. <laughs> Did you grab hands? Awesome. Did it feel good? <laughs> This is fellowship. Do you notice that? It's a fellowship. Now I don't know what you call it when women are in. When it's a womanship. Woman fellowship. <laughs> well, at least it ain't a sinking ship, right? 
So. I'm sorry, I just need to think about what we're going to pray about. This is called the spiritual stall. When Martin did it, the Holy Spirit told him to do it. I just didn't think of anything to say. I should have acted like that. Oh, we can't do that yet. It, it was awesome when you did it. I felt the Holy Spirit on yours. <laughs> I got distracted by another one. Are you holding hands? Okay. Don't, don't stare, it makes me nervous. Holy Spirit. <laughs> Lord, help these people know that I'm right about this stuff. And that old prophecy guy, he, he's wrong. He's really wrong, God. There shall be no end to the increase of your government or of peace. The zeal of the Lord of hosts of angels will make sure of this. So Lord, we pray right now for your ever-increasing kingdom. We pray for your ever-increasing kingdom. Come on, I mean it. I pray for your ever-increasing kingdom. Uh, let it flow out of us like a river. Like Ezekiel's river. There's trees along the river. <laughs> and the further you get from the sanctuary, the deeper the river gets. God, we pray that the miracles, the greatest miracles, would be done the furthest from the church. <laughs> <laughs> the deepest, darkest places on the planet would experience the deepest grace of God where sin abounds all the more. Grace abounds all the more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. That's how you say it, the right way. When sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. <laughs> Lord, we release the good news of the kingdom. Happy people reproducing happy people that reproduce happy people thank you Lord we just release that over every city that's represented here Whew. thank you Lord Lord unclog people no some of you are clogged it's a song of Solomon it's in there it says you are a spring clogged up <laughs> I'm gonna look for the verse that could take me a while I think it's chapter 8 but you need to get unclogged Lord we just pray for people to be unclogged remove the stones a Holy Spirit unclogging pray for a Holy Spirit unclogging People would get in the flow of the Spirit. Seriously, you have the kingdom in you. It needs to get out. Oh. Holy Spirit, just get out of people. I mean, you know, flow out of people. 
flow out of people. <laughs> we just break the dams. No more dam. Rivers of living water. Release that over people right now. Let people have a vision for their city. Let them stop watching the news and listen to the good news. That we would be hope for the nations. Come on, Lord. I don't think this is true, but wouldn't it be a bummer if you were living in the millennium and didn't know it? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think you are, but wouldn't it be a bummer if you were? You got to the end of a thousand years and Jesus like, that was it. That was the thousand years. <laughs> and you're like, you're kidding. Seriously? I missed the millennium. <laughs> That was, that was just, I don't think that's true. Just, a, it was a thought. So stand up and we'll finish praying. <laughs> it drove right through the millennium. Holy Spirit, come. Crystal, come up here. You're going to minister to me. Holy Spirit, come. Just invite Holy Spirit to come right now. And you're like, the Holy Spirit's already here, but we need more Holy Spirit in us. Mm. In the book of Joshua, it says that the Jordan River overflowed its banks in the time of harvest. Did you hear that? It's a prophetic word. That the, in, in the book of Joshua, it says that the Jordan River overflowed its banks in times of harvest. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will overflow our banks. That you will overcome, mm, that you would overcome the obstacles in our lives that have kept you inside a predetermined form. You will overflow our banks. <laughs> and you'd overflow our banks, too, as in accounts. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just put your hand on your heart. Hearts on fire. We just release hearts on fire right now. Hearts on fire right now. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, everyone who's offended because of this message, I just forgive them right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. <laughs>